Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to a new episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. In this podcast, Dr. Blake Williamson invites a panel of Drs. Priyanka Sud, Sahar Bedrud, Christos Ifantidis, and Brett Kramer to discuss and compare the differences between private practice and an academic setting. Which is the better fit for each surgeon? Listen in. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology's Off the Grid Survive and Thrive series. I'm your host, Dr. Blake Williamson, and I'm here uh, hanging out with a few of my good buddies, actually. This is always fun whenever I have people um, uh, on the podcast who, who I know, uh, and I've had uh, one to two or three glasses of wine with uh, uh, in the past. This always makes things interesting, um, and it's always going to be conversational, um, as you know from the podcast. And really what we want to do today is just talk about private practice um, versus the academic setting. So the, the last episode, we kind of talked all about um, you know, fellowships and, and what type of uh, fellowship should you get into? Should you look at a private practice fellowship? Should you go the traditional route? Uh, well, let's say you're, you're now in your fellowship and you're looking for jobs. Well, one of the most common questions that we get all the time um, is, you know, do I need to go to the academic setting? Uh, or do I need to reach out to the private setting? So we have uh, uh, several several of our colleagues on the call here, um, and I thought maybe we'd start with uh, Priyanka just because you have the experience of both. So so um, you're at Emory now, correct? Um, and you you were at Emory previously, right? And then you went to private practice. Then you kind of went back. Can you kind of uh, talk about what what brought you back? Uh, and then maybe we'll bounce it to Sahara, who's telling us you know he's going to tell us about she was just in private or just in. Uh, uh, academic setting, and she's just recently gone to private practice. So you guys kind of like are two ships, you know, sailing or, or passing each other at night. So talk, why don't you start us off? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me on. It's always a great time to uh, get to chat with colleagues and hear everyone's experiences. Um, I definitely have a very interesting uh, history in that. So I was a resident at Emory um, back in the day, and then I did my fellowship at Cornell in cornea external disease. And then I stayed on as faculty there for three years after um, my fellowship. And then I decided to try private practice for a couple of years up in Boston, and it was a high volume refractive practice. Um, and then I decided to come back to Emory. And um, it's been about five years since I've been back. And I think that, you know, I was someone who, uh, I also happen to have two siblings who are both ophthalmologists as well. And so my sister, the older sibling, um, had gone into private practice after doing her glaucoma fellowship. And so I think I started residency thinking, well, obviously I'm gonna go into uh, private practice. And I, you know, at the time of fellowship, it was the beginning of my fellowship year and uh, Cornell was looking to hire and just this idea of staying on with the people who trained me and getting to kind of continue that um, was really appealing. And I think that one of the things that I really truly enjoy about academics is the camaraderie. Um, I think sometimes that camaraderie in private practice 
office can be really challenging, especially the private practice that I had joined. I was going to four different offices. I was the only doctor in any of those offices ever. And for me, that was kind of lonely. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, ultimately uh, I came back to academics. I don't want to take up too much of everybody's time because I'd love to like get into the discussion afterwards. Um, but another thing that I felt um, was happening in medicine and that I think um, continues to happen is that doctors have given up uh, control of medicine. And when you're in the private practice world, you have more control. But I think in the grand scheme of medicine, I came back to Emory to become chief of service of the um, hospital, the Emory Hospital. And so I go to meetings with other subspecialty chiefs and I hear about like all of the challenges that we face in medicine. And I think it just helps me keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on because um, I think that doctors need to take control of medicine again. And I think that um, if we're not at the table, we are not advocating for ourselves. And we can sit there and say we're advocating for our patients all day, every day in the clinic. And that is a beautiful and important thing. But at the end of the day, as we've seen with insurance companies, as we've seen with all the industries who are continuing to you know, take control of medicine, if we're not at the table and we're not using the words that the business people use, then we're, we're losing control and then we lose control of taking care of our patients. So. So how about you? So, so where were you, where were you in practice? Um, and where, where are you now? And what, what brought you to that? So my story goes that I did, I actually did an MD PhD program and my PhD was in basic science, biochemistry, and the goal and the dream was always academics. There was no question. I was not going to go into private practice. So I finished my PhD. I, you know, I did my residency at Doheny. Then I went to Wilmer, all these like really academic places, right? And then I got, I landed a job at USC back in Los Angeles. That was my dream job. And after a couple of years there, I was like, I don't know if this was a dream or, or a nightmare. <laughs> so I, um, it didn't, it, you know, the department was, um, was not well at the time. I can, that's the best way I can say it. For me, it wasn't a good fit. I felt like um, there was a lot of bureaucracy and that dream of doing research and teaching and seeing patients was a little bit more challenging in real life because research is not just given to you. You're not given research time. You have to earn it and you have to earn it by way of grants. But then you're in the clinic all the time. How are you going to get the grants? So it wasn't it wasn't flowing in the way that it was supposed to. And I wanted to be high volume surgical as well. So, you know, what did I want, really? That was the question I had to ask myself. Um, and I felt like I needed and wanted more clinical and surgical growth. And so I decided to leave academia and um, had a bit of an identity crisis for a while because that is all I knew. That's all I wanted to do. Um, went into private practice um, in local to me. And then I recently changed practices and I'm, I'm, I'm in a practice called Advanced Vision Care with Nicole Fram in Los Angeles, and it's wonderful. Um, and the differences are, you know, again, after the identity crisis, I realized that I really love doing surgery. I like being high volume. I like just giving clinical care. And from that sprouted so many things, clinical trials, speaking engagements, um, advisory boards, things that I was, I, I was able to do because I had that volume and that experience. Um, and so for me, I, I think I thrived in private practice. I think that it helped me become more successful, but it was a very, very hard transition 
to leave that after doing a PhD as well. Um, but I, I, I don't regret it. I mean, again, like Priyanka, I can go on and on. And I think that I, I admire the sense of your purpose for why you were doing, uh, why you went back into academics to be part of the discussions, to be part of the administration and that those administrative discussions are so important. I didn't want to be part of those discussions, so I left, right? Um, but each of us have to find the sense of purpose and see what it is that motivates us to get up in the morning and do what we want to do. Um, and I think that as long as you're in a place that can really um, uh, allow you to grow in that way, then, then you can pick either one, um, as long as the environment and the people you're working with um, allows for that growth. One thing you mentioned was was about fit, and 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 really, uh, it makes me think about culture because I bet you there were some, um, I bet you there were some uh, private practices uh, that if Priyanka was in, she probably would have loved and probably never never gone back, and vice versa with you. I bet you there's some academic centers. Yeah. If it was that all that wasn't going on, you'd probably still be there. So it's like it kind of depends not only on on who you are, but also the fit. Like I was listening to Priyanka talk about, you know, a lot of the places that I'm that I'm going to. Um, a lot of the clinics, I was the only person there. And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, that's, that's how I do it where I go, because why would another doctor be there? Because you don't want to, you know, you want to get all the volume while you're there. Right. But the flip side of that is it is kind of lonely. And I do feel that way sometimes. And I kind of wonder about like, not myself necessarily, but, but some of my ODs that work for me, a lot of times they're at, a, a, they're at a, a, you know, a satellite that's 40 minutes away and it is just them. That way they get all the patients from that day. We don't have, you know, we don't have that much volume where you could have two doctors in one place at the same time, except for one or two of our locations. So it's weird how you, how, how that can kind of go either way. On one hand, I'm like, well, yeah, that's going to get you busy if you're the only doc right there that day. But on the other hand, it is kind of, so I don't know. Do, do you think that culture kind of plays a part in that, Priyanka? Do you, and so hard, do you think that like, maybe if you were in a different place, you you would still be on the other side of the fence? Absolutely. There's no doubt. And honestly, I think the thing that I also tell my residents and tell our medical students is you've just got to stay curious because sometimes you don't even know what it is that you're going to like until you try it. And, you know, I think unfortunately in medicine, we oftentimes have this belief that like our first job has to be our only job and that like we are really tied because we've built this practice and we've done these things and this just has to be it. And that's just not the case. And, you know, I think our business colleagues take it to the whole other extreme where it's like every two years they're in a new like uh, job. We don't have that luxury either, right? Like you don't have that opportunity. Yeah. But I do think that you can give yourself that freedom to say, hey, I'm going to try this and I'm going to see how it works. And then I'm going to stay curious. And I'm going to figure out what are the things that I enjoy. I'm going to figure out the things that I don't enjoy. And then I'm going to use that knowledge and try to curate the next level of joy that I want to create in my life. And like, I've been back at Emory for five years and, you know, there's a chance that I might stay here for another 20 years, but also that knowledge that I have empowered myself to know that maybe there is a different step along the way. Um, I think that makes your day-to-day -day a little bit easier to get through too. I think culture has a huge role to play in it. And I agree. I think that there are definitely academic centers that I would probably be a part of if I were, if if it were to be more supportive of my goals. And there are a lot out there. I just didn't happen to live in an area that had them. Um, and I think that the, you know, there was a statistic, I think you probably have shared it previously or on other podcasts have seen that, you know, at, you know people change their job. 70% of people don't stay at their first job. 
of doctors don't stay at their first job. And I was like, oh, that's such a great, I don't even know if that statistic is true, <laughs> but it's nice to hear that people can change their mind and it's not a, considered a failure, but rather a growth. I thought it was 80% actually. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was 75. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Christos, you jumped, you, you, you jumped in there. So, so, so let, let us know your story. I mean, you, you were at Colorado, right? Which is amazing, right? It is. Uh, it is yeah. I, I know the people there. You got good people there. Um, Fabulous so people. This, some of this comes down to just timing, you know, where you're at, where you're at in your life. It, it's not necessarily about fit or culture, just about other goals and, and, you know, and that sort of thing. Tell us your story and why are you down in Florida now? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's so funny because as we were talking about uh, perfect private practices versus perfect academics, I don't think there is such a thing, but Colorado got uh, pretty dang close to being as supportive of their doctors as you can get. Um, you know, every institution deals with the red tape um, and the bigger the institution, the more money that comes through it, the more red tape there is usually. And good leadership tries to cut through that to get you what you need, uh, to get you higher volume, to get you the new technologies, but you still have to deal with the rules, you know, the law of the land. And so big institutions, you can't get around some rules. Um, that That is true at every institution. So I do think it's easier to find an academic style private practice than it is to find a true like pure private practice model in an academic setting. And so, uh, with that being said, you know, my journey, I always thought I was going to be an academic ophthalmologist. Um, I'm one of the dweebs on my residency application who actually ended up doing the research that I said I love doing. Um, and so, you know, for me, uh, basic science, foundational science, whatever you want to call it, it, it matters because that's where solutions come from, right? So I've always wanted to be like a solution person. And so for that, I felt like I needed to have that foundational science. I loved chasing it. And so for me, Colorado was an amazing place, really supportive faculty and leadership, uh, gave me some startup funds to do what I wanted to do. And so for that, I'm eternally grateful. Um, for me personally, my desire to ask why uh, went past science, went past clinical stuff. And uh, I wanted to know how the business ran. I wanted to know, where the money was going, like, you know, how are we supporting all of these different aspects, research, um, outreach, I was the director of global outreach too. So for me, I really was um, asking why about many different things. Uh, and it's just hard to do that and get, um, you know, an understanding with such a big organization. Um, I feel like that is one benefit of private practice if you are really motivated to just understand how things run from a systems level uh and have a say in it it's really i think much easier to do that in private practice i'm fortunate because i found a practice that was not only in the uh town that i grew up cape coral florida um but it's five minutes from my parents which was extremely extremely important as a uh, uh child of greeks um, I always, you know, was being asked when I was coming to visit uh, what I wanted to eat, you know, it, it really, after five years, is like, I got to get back there. So um, that was a huge draw is getting back to family. My brother's family lives here too. Um, but uh, more than just that, finding a private practice that was an academic feel and Tyson I is where I landed. Uh, Toby Tyson is really just a phenomenal uh, surgeon, but entrepreneur and um, forward thinker. And so, um, as we mentioned about like finding the right group where you can 
uh, feel like you can share ideas, both clinically and uh, innovation-wise. Um, we do have our own practices where we go and practice, but you know, we're already, I've only been here for like a month and we're already like texting clinical cases. Uh, Dave Stevens is here too, his, uh, who was a resident when I was a fellow at Wills, which is great. Um, so it just has been great, but it truly comes down to, I think, finding the right type of private practice that fits your needs or the right type of academic practice. But um, so far, I've been exceedingly happy. Yeah. So a lot of it, you know, could just be circumstance and, and uh, timing in, in life, you know, being close to family. It's, it's all those things are, are really important. Um, Brent, um, you just heard the stat that most people don't don't, uh, you know, end up staying at their first job. So why, why are you going to be leaving Vance Thompson Vision in three or four years? Walk us through Yikes. That. Yeah, <laughs> I was just thinking, I was just thinking, gal, I think I'm going to just come out and say that I'm probably going to beat that stat. Um, I, I landed, landed a dream job right out of the gate and I'm really fortunate for it. Um, you know, part of that was being able to come back home to where I'm from, to where my wife's from. Uh, South Dakota might not seem attractive of a place, but you know, it's where our roots are and we love it. It's home for us. But um, talking about the practice side of things, you know, that was, I, I always kind of thought Vance Thompson Vision was my, uh, they introduced me to ophthalmology. And so that was back when I was an undergrad. Um, and so along the way, I always kind of saw myself in private practice, but man, I've got a lot of core beliefs that really fit into an academic center in regards to advancing the, advancing the ball with research, maybe not dense research, but some real clinical research, um, being able to do academic cases in the OR. Um, and, and I think those are probably the two big things, uh, actually third one that is actually number one is contributing to training future surgeons. Um, so those are the three probably big things that I love about academics that are a lot tougher in private practice. And so to be able to be at a private practice that those are really ingrained into what we do every day. Um, I just, I just lucked out, but man, when I was, you know, sitting down, a year ago now looking at it, I mean, I had offers from different private practice, private equity, private practice, a couple of physician owned groups, and then, um, you know, a pretty competitive or attractive um, academic position. It actually was, you know, I sat down and thought about those things, right? And so I think the recurring theme that I'm hearing, though, is it's all about the fit, right? You got to value or evaluate yourself and what do you want out of this and what do you want out of your career? What's your five-year plan? What's your 10 and 15-year plan? Where do you want your career to go? And then, you know, fitting and looking at a job from that perspective, um, but then reevaluating, right? I mean, you guys were, were in awesome jobs, I'm sure, um, and, and doing what you love and then just reevaluating. Why am I not super happy? And then, you know, finding other jobs that fit those core values. And I think that's where the stat comes from. It's not because 75 or 80% of the jobs out there aren't good. It's because they're not good fits for you. Um, but anyways, you know, Vance Thompson Vision. So what I love about what I do is one, I get the benefit of just doing high volume surgery. Um, two, I do get to do research. I mean, we, we get to do a lot of FDA trials, different IIT stuff. Um, and so we get to ask questions and answer them. And so that's what scientists do. And that's was, you know, a big reason why I chose a science, you know, back before even pre-med, why I wanted to get into something science, right? We, we like asking questions and answering them. 
um, and making the world a little bit better place. Um, but I think what's going to be the really big thing for VTV is having a fellow. It is just so awesome to pour into um, a trainee um, and, and just kind of be able to mold the future of what ophthalmology looks like in that way. And it's, it's a really, uh, it's a privilege. And that's something that, um, you know, I think being able to do that to like residents and fellows, I think is pretty, pretty awesome. And one thing I love about my private practice setup, private demic setup, whatever you want to say. Brent, I want you to, I'm going to force you to tell me something negative about it. Cause there's gotta be, cause I got a pretty great setup down here too. My name's on the door. But there's problems that I have. Well, I can I can give you a laundry list of things I don't like about my own practice. So I'm going to force you to do that. But but, t- but before I do, I just want one thing you said. You know, a lot of times it's it's the reason why that stat exists. People don't end up where they started is I think because you don't know what you don't know. It's like you you don't marry the first exactly. guy give exactly. you a kiss in sixth grade, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. And, and so same thing uh, with this. You don't. You don't, you know, you don't know what you like and what you don't like. You're just trying to get out and get working. So I think that's the reason why. But tell me something you don't like. What's a challenge? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, because even though, you know, I own this practice, but there are some things that I have to deal with. I am told no at times by my administrator or um, the other partners in my practice. Like, it's not a total free-for-all. Um, and there can be some challenges uh, with that. There's some red tape in private practice, too, is my point. Yes, no, that is that is very true. Um, I think one thing that has maybe not that I don't like, but that has been a challenge for me is, man, I came from a really high volume fellowship. I would show up at 730 and leave at six. And all I did was see patients and do surgery. Um, And I saw a lot of patients and did a lot of surgery. And so especially when you consider as an academic fellowship. And so coming into a private practice setup, there is the part where this is a business. And so, I mean, man, I would say on average weekly, and I'm an associate, um, but I'm, I go to all the partner meetings as, a, as, you know, a surgeon. And so I would say anywhere from two to four hours of scheduled meetings throughout the day or through per week. So per week, I probably have two to four scheduled hours of scheduled meetings of things that I don't, I didn't go to school for, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of, the finances of a practice and other things. Um, and so what are we doing with healthcare this year? What are we offering healthcare when all those things that we, you don't know any of that. We weren't taught that. And so learning that on the fly is interesting. And, you know, so that it, it's just different, right? I mean, we came out and all I was doing was plugging and chugging and taking care of a lot of people and a lot of eyeballs. And now um, kind of slowing that down a little bit, still high volume, but now spending my other free time doing some of that practice management stuff, right? The hiring, the, the, the separations, um, all that stuff, managing people, um, real life chess, if you may, um, you know, it's, it's more, right? That's, that's the, more. that's the, that's the one I was in, managing people, you know, but what you start, so I have 192 employees. And what I've learned is there's not two sides to every story. There's 10, there's literally yes. 10 sides to every story. And in an academic setting, you have layers of people, HR, all this stuff that can interface. But when you're the face of the practice, like you actually have to get down in there and deal with a lot of that stuff that you don't want to deal with. Uh, Priyanka or Sahar being, or I guess Priyanka in this case, being insulated from some of that, is that is that a good thing that you can just kind of focus on what you're doing and not have to worry about all the other moving parts? Because it's not all your problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, 
I think it's the two sides to the coin because I have a very dear friend who has just started her own private practice this year. And so I very much hear her HR issues. And, um, you know, on the one hand, in an academic practice, I'm not doing the hiring um, and I'm also not doing the firing, but that means I have no choice in who we hire. And so when they're a bad fit, they're a bad fit. And it's a lot harder to fire someone in an academic practice than it is, I think, in a private practice. Not that we're like firing people, but again, fit wise and whether you get to like say what it is that you think you need, um, I think is very challenging. But that being said, you know, I'm not necessarily spending my nights and weekends thinking about those things, which I feel like my friend is doing a bit of that. And so I, at this point in my life, don't really, I would rather kind of get through my day and just do what I need to do, put my head down and, and get through it. Um, but yeah, do I have dreams some days of being like, I bet I could build a dream team and it'd be amazing. Yeah. But also I've never done it. So. Yeah. Grass, gra grass is greener. And speaking of grass is greener, Sahar, you, you, after you left uh, academia, you went to one private practice, but now you're in another mm -hmm. private practice. Yeah. So, so maybe talk, talk to it, uh, the listeners that are, that are listening to this right now thinking, Hmm, I wonder why she chose another private practice over this one. What are some things that they can ask about if they're considering a private practice? Like if they have, let's say they do want to go back home to, to Coral Gables and maybe they don't have a personal relationship with the doctor. What kind of things and questions sh should they should they look into when they're interviewing? What, what things stood out about the practice you're in now versus the one you the private practice you were in previously? That's such a great question, because I was in a practice that was really close to my house. The. Um, it was day to day, very easy for me. It wasn't challenging. It was just that I, um, without getting into it too much, um, I think that you, your um, sense of um, purpose and morals and ethics have to match who you're working for. And um, I really, um, I wanted to work somewhere where I was really proud of working. Um, and that was important. And I didn't realize that that was important. I thought easy was important. Like a five minute drive was important being really close to that, but it wasn't because I, I, yeah, it was easy. And I came home and I picked up my kids, but I loved being, I like being part of this practice. And I love the idea that it was, it's like this big legacy practice and they only hire really good doctors currently. And and you know, the, the patients know when they're going there that they're going to be taken care of. And being part of that was, actually really eye-opening so questions to ask someone you know it's hard to see that right unless you're a few years in and seeing what you like and what you don't like and maybe easy is good maybe that's what people want but ask about the hours how many hours a week do you actually really work ask about production is it hard to make your bonus um that is one thing that's you know challenging because in in academia you're usually salaried and if you don't see a certain number of patients a day, it's not terribly stressful. <laughs> you kind of like it. You're like, oh, I had some no-shows. But in private practice, if you have a bunch of no-shows, it was a lighter day, yes, but that's stressful, right? Because then you're like, oh, I got to make up for it next week. And I have, so there is that element too. Um, but looking at who you work for um, and how they run the business and what's important to them. Um, and that, those are things. Priyanka, you're raising your hand. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, though, there's actually lots of different models, even within academics. So we're based on work our views. So if I have okay, a bunch yeah. of shows, yeah, I'm, I'm similarly not going to, you know, see that money at the end of the year. Okay. Um, well, so good to know. Like 
different ways um, that practices uh, run. But I think there's only one other thing that I just wanted to bring up that I think is another thing that we need to um, at some point talk about as a um, as doctors, which is that, um, did y'all know that lawyers don't have non-competes because they believe that their clients should get to choose which lawyer they actually see and that non-competes in medicine really only started within the last couple of decades and that I think it really is a hindrance to us being treated well, especially in these days of private equity. I mean, there are private equities out there now that are telling their new people that they're gonna have to sign five state non-competes oh and it's God. becoming absurd. And I think that like, if we don't talk about it, and if we don't change it, then we are all going to be practicing again for these people who make decisions for us and for our lives. And I just, I find it really absurd that, uh, that it's gone that way. I mean, I, I agree that there is an art, like businesses, when they invest in you, yes, they need to get their return on their investment. But like after five years of you being with a practice, is it more about your name or is it more about the practice's name? I don't know the answer to that, but I have a feeling that it's actually more about the doctor who's providing the care than it necessarily is about the practice that put in an initial investment and they should get that investment back. But there should be a time limit on that and not like, oh, you have to uproot your family for two years before you can come back to the city to be able to practice or sign a five-state non-compete. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that, I think that, um, you know, sometimes those things are hard to hold up, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, but you still have that. You have to fight it in some states, but you have to fight it, you know, and even if it is, even if you do win, you have, you're having to fight it, you know. Uh, for us, we've never been like that. It's just been in our little town, the only non-compete. Our feeling is we're going to be successful no matter if this person is here or not. We want them to be able to not disrupt their family for the reasons that you said, you know. You don't want to sort of vilify for us. And in fact, if it's not a good fit, we want them to be outside the practice because they're not happy where they are, you know? So it's actually a good thing to enable them to, to have to split if they want to. Um, Christos, why don't you bring us home? Um, you know, you, you had to uh, you had to pick, I'm guessing you had your pick of places back home in Florida. Um, how did you, you know, did, did you do that? Did you kind of ask some, some hard, tough questions about uh, the framework of the practice and before ultimately deciding where to go? I know that Tyson and I is well known, but you know, similar thing is Sahara saying that she wanted to go somewhere she was proud of. Obviously, that's a place she can be proud of. Was that part of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I asked, you know, pretty widely. Uh, I've been very uh, fortunate. People offered to even help me start practice down here. Um, so it, it meant a lot to have that type of support. Um, I just, uh, and this is probably applicable for people coming out of residency or fellowship. Um, it's harder when you're that young to know what you want to do. And I think the first five years or so, um, I was just trying to figure that out, trying to figure out um, what opportunities I liked and what I didn't. And I think what it comes down to is, are people giving you opportunities? So the biggest advice I could give is join a practice where people are open about giving you opportunities. You might not know what you love to do yet, but make sure that they're helping you figure it out, which means uh, you might do something you don't like. Um, or you might find that you really like it. And so that's the important thing. And I think at Tyson and I, uh, Toby and Dave both really want me to thrive. And I, I felt that when I um, um, spoke to them about it and we just jive, you know, what they wanna do, I wanna do. Um, and so it was a no brainer um, to be in this area and to have people who are like-minded. Um, but if you can find people who wanna give you opportunities, who want you to be better than, you know, it, when I'm, 70 years old, I want to be mentoring people to be better than me. If they're not better than me, I did something wrong. 
And you want to be around people like that who will make you uh, uh, take those opportunities and be great too. And and I did find that. Well, I appreciate it. Um, this has been a, a fantastic episode. I think we could probably go on for another half hour. Um, but, um, but I think that uh, hopefully this has shed some insight for folks who are trying to make this decision. And I think the biggest thing is maybe take some of the weight out of this. Uh, as we said, uh, if, if it's, you know, don't stress too much, if it's not a great fit, you, you, you're, you know, it's okay if you're not there forever, but, you know, do your best to take advice that you've learned tonight. Talk to happy people. I always say, always try to find happy people and talk to them and ask them what they do and why they do it. And that's always been my guiding sort of light, um, throughout this whole process. Um, but I appreciate you guys and gals joining me and uh, for this episode of survive and thrive. I hope everybody has a great week. Thank you for listening to Ophthalmology Off the Grid's Survive and Thrive series. And thank you to our guests, Drs. Priyanka Sud, Sahar Vedrud, Christos Ivantidis, and Brett Kramer for sharing their insights with us. Be sure to tune in to the next episode. Thank you.